Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, we continue our study through the book of Romans. And we come to this last part of chapter 2 and also part of chapter 3. And I've titled the message, Why Religion Fails. Why Religion Fails. Follow in your Bibles as I begin reading in Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed thou of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, and instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For the circumcision verily profited if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it, be, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by, by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, but neither... Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that, that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did, did not believe Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, thou that, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some have, have affirmed that we say, let us do evil that good may, may come, whose damnation is just. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the assembly of your people. We thank you, Lord, for everyone who's here today, and we ask that you might meet our needs from your word. Remind us, if we truly know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that it's not being a part of this church that saves us. It's knowing Jesus and his forgiveness of sin, being justified by him. It's all because of you. And we thank you for that, Lord. But if someone might be here today who thinks they're going to heaven because they are associated with church or they're religious, I pray that you'd help them to realize that that's not the way it is. Nobody gets to heaven by being religion, religious. Nobody gets to heaven by being good. So Lord, teach us this lesson from your word today. And we do pray for those who 
are hurting today in Texas because of the tragic massacre that took place this past week. Lord, I just ask that you might comfort those families, bring people to them, Lord, who know Jesus if they don't know the Lord. And I pray that they might come to know Jesus at this time. Lord, I just ask that you might work in our country. We need revival. But before revival comes, there's going to have to be repentance. So I pray that you might work with our country, Lord. And if it's your will that you would even yet spare us, even though we deserve judgment, we ask that you might give enablement to bring the message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no doubt that we live in an ungodly, wicked age. The massacre of the 19 children and two teachers in Texas this past week reinforced what we already know, and that is evil is real. Evil is present, and we are never guaranteed that it will not affect us. It seems that our culture gets worse and worse. So many today are calling evil good and good evil. People hoard money, and they hate God. They glorify the sinner, and they grumble about the saint. They ballot man's word, and they bellyache at God's word. It seems that as we look around, everything's going wrong in our country. Immorality such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, prostitution, and pornography are approved. Men are calling good evil and evil good. Killing of babies in the womb is approved all the way through nine months of pregnancy. And if it so happens that the baby that they tried to abort survives the abortion, many in our country want to kill that baby even though it's still alive after the abortion attempt. Weak on crime advocates are fine with letting hardened criminals loose. Policemen are demonized, while greedy, lying, selfish politicians are allowed to get away with the destruction of America. Then these same politicians, whose hands are red with the blood of millions of aborted babies, cry out against law-abiding citizens who defend their Second Amendment right to protect themselves While families are hurting because an evil man shot the children in Texas, these politicians turn the blame on the gun and the law-abiding citizens who own guns rather than on the man who killed the children. All of this has happened right before this Memorial Day weekend. On Memorial Day, we honor those who gave their lives to defend our country and our freedoms. And yet many who pay lip service to the importance of Memorial Day are actively betraying our country our founding fathers, our founding documents, and our Constitution. We love to sing, God bless America, but I wonder if God has begun to judge America. We still want God to bless America, and we still want him to send revival to our land, but none of us could disagree if God would judge America. We surely deserve it. Now, some well-meaning people would say what we need in America is more religion. But in this passage that we've read this morning, Paul is saying, no, religion is not the answer. Paul was very religious before he met Jesus. You remember, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees was the strictest sect of the Jews. And so he was very, very religious. But he wrote Romans. He wrote the book of Romans to the people in Rome. And as we saw already in our study in chapter 1, he said the heathen were without excuse. Even though they didn't have the word of God, They hadn't heard the gospel. They were still without excuse, and they were under condemnation. 
He said last week, as we looked in chapter 2, that the self-righteous man was deserving of God's wrath. And today, in the passage before us, we see that he says the religious Jew was worthy also of judgment. Yes, religion fails. It fails to please God. So this morning, let's examine from this passage. You might have, might have noticed as we were reading it, sound a little difficult to understand. So I'm hoping that we can help you understand what this passage says. And I'm going to break it down like this and give you four reasons why religion fails. Religion in itself fails. First of all, religion fails because it trusts in its possessions. Now, what did the Jews trust in as we saw in this passage? Look at verse 17. Behold, thou art a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God. The Jews were the people who said, we know the true God. The true God, the only God, is our God. And they were right in a sense that they did know about the true God. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, the Lord says, I am the Lord and there is none else. I'd like to reinforce that this morning. There is no God except our God, and that is Jehovah God, that is the Lord That is the one of the Old Testament, the one of the New Testament, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus who came to this earth is God incarnate in the flesh. He came to die for our sins. There is one God, only one. Many people worship Allah. Only thing is, they don't know Allah doesn't even exist. (laughs) There is no such person. He doesn't exist because there is no God but one God, and that's the Lord himself. And so the Jews were right. They had this one God as their God. They, they believed in him, and they, so they trusted in that. They trusted. They possessed the only God of the universe. But they also trusted in another possession, and that is they possessed the law. Notice it says in verse 17, they rested in the law. They, they said, we have the law, which is given by God, who tells us what God wants and what God requires and what God desires and what we have to do. The law tells us that, and we have that law that came from God himself. God wrote the, the law on the, ten, on, the, on the tables of stone, and God gave the complete law to Moses, and it came from God. That one God gave us the law, and they said, we have the law. Therefore, they thought since they had the law... Verse, verse 1, he says, I mean, verse 18, he says, And knewest his will, because we have the law, we know his will. So we know what God wants, we know his will. Uh, look at verse 18, because they had the law, they said, And knewest and, and approvest things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. They had discernment. They said, all the rest of you people don't have discernment because you don't have the law. Because we have the law, we know what God's will is. And because we have the law, we can, make, we can discern what is true, what is right, what is good, what is evil. We can discern that. And so they were proud about that. And they also said that they were qualified to be other people's instructors. Look at verse 19 and 20. And are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the, blind, of the blind, a light to them that are in darkness, instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. We have the law. So we are proud and we are content, we are secure because of what we possess. And their religion said that. They had possession of the law, they had possession of the God of the truth. But the, God, but the possession of the truth doesn't make us right with God. You see, they did not obey the law that they have. 
and they didn't truly know the God that they claimed to know, and that is the Lord. In fact, the Bible says in verse 21, that Paul asked them some questions. He said, you that teach, have you, have you, have you been teaching yourself? <laughs> teach us not thyself. You that say it's wrong to steal, dost thou steal? Well, we know from Malachi, God says if you don't give him what belongs to him, and that is at least a tenth, then you're stealing from God. You're robbing God. So he says to him, do you steal? He said, you that say you shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And Jesus in his ministry, remember, said, if you look upon the woman to lust after her, and, and ladies, I might also say that, that in, in, also implies that the woman is, same is true of the woman. If you look at a man to lust after him, you've committed all adultery already in your heart. And so he asked him the, them this piercing question. You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? And then he says in verse 23, or verse 20, 22, he says, that thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, doth thou commit adultery? That the, and, thou, and, thou, and abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? You abhor idols, but do you commit sacrilege? Sacrilege means desecrating temples. You remember Jesus showed in his ministry they desecrated temples because you remember he went into the temple and drove out the money changers and then sold doves and all of that. They were making a place of merchandise and uh, they were just getting rich on the temple itself. They didn't really care about God, but they were getting rich on those things and he said that's wrong, so they desecrated the temple. And so God, Paul asked him this question. And then verse 23, he says, Thou that makest thy boast in the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? You make your boast that you have the law, and yet you break the law. Don't you dishonor God in doing that? And so he's pinning them down and making them realize that possession of so-called, your possession of the God of the universe, you do believe in the true God, and your possession of the law does not make you right with God. You see, they were hypocrites. And because they were hypocrites, they caused the name of the Lord to be blasphemed. Look what it says in verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. The way you live, he says, is a blasphemy to God. It goes to us, you know. We can apply that to us, this to us. If we say that we're Christians and we don't live like a Christian, then we blaspheme God. You know, we're representatives of Jesus. We're ambassadors of Christ. So when we got in the workplace or wherever you might be, if you don't live the same way you do on Sunday, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, then you're blaspheming God because you're saying you're one thing, but you live like something else. You're a hypocrite. And the Lord doesn't like hypocrites. And the Bible says Jesus is very plain in talking about these religious people who were hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 23, the Lord said this in verse 14. If you want to look it up, you can. But it says, Matthew 23, verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Uh, remind you, this is Jesus. <laughs> you know, somebody call, some people call him meek, lowly Jesus. <laughs> No, this is Jesus confronting the religious leaders. And he said, you scribes and Pharisees, you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when you make him, you take, make him twofold more a child of hell than yourself. In other words, you're a child of hell. And then you get somebody to follow, you make him twofold more a child of hell. 
Verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which, uh, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, it, he is, is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. So he's talking to them very straight, and he tells them that you're wrong, you're hypocrites. We can't we can read the whole passage, but look at chapter, or verse 23. It says, Woe unto scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, faith, these ought you to have done and not to leave the others undone. Ye blind guides which strain a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> this is Jesus. This is Jesus talking to these people. You strain a gnat and swallow a camel. He's saying that you concentrate on these little things, then you forget the much bigger things. You make sure you tithe and all of that, but you treat people terribly. And so he condemns the religious person. And then verse 33 really sums it up. He said, and when he calls them, he says, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? Was Jesus a hellfire and brimstone preacher? Yes, he was. He said, you're a bunch of serpents and vipers, and how can you escape the damnation of hell? And what he's saying is, religion won't get you to heaven, and that's true. Religion surely won't get you to heaven. Religion trusts what it possesses, but what you possess in religion, whether it be you're saying you believe in the one God or whether you say you have the Bible or whatever it might be, it won't save you because religion fails that way. You see, our church needs to learn that as well. I think we know that, but we need to be reminded of it. And that is, God is not pleased because we have the Bible. God is not pleased because we have a building. And God will not be pleased when we have a new building, which we hope to build. God will not be pleased just with that building. God's not pleased when the offering is up. God's not pleased when we have programs like Bible school and all of that. God's not pleased when we have a, a whole, a whole uh, church full of people. And God's not pleased when we have all kinds of talents. You see, God's not pleased with what we have. God is pleased when he has us <laughs> and we have him. You see, God wants to rule in our life and God wants to work in our life. And we must serve the Lord. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's in your bulletin. And he says, he concludes it like this, without me you can do nothing. So the vine has the branches attached to it. The branches are worthless without the vine. And he says, without me you can do nothing. And so if you, you have all these external things, but you don't have Jesus, then you really have nothing. Another reason is this. Religion fails because religion trusts in its performance. It trusts in its possessions and trusts in its performance. Many big churches, you know, and I'm not opposed to big churches, let me say that quickly, but many are pride themselves in their possessions and what they have, the beauty of their places, the money they have in the bank and all of that. But possessions are, will not save you. And so the Lord says religion fails because of its possessions. Also, religion fails because it trusts in its performance. We see that in verse 25 through 27. You see, in the first verses, they talk about what they have. They have the law, they have God. And then these verses, it talks about what they do, 
what they've done. And they said, we are the circumcised. Now, the circumcision was that outward sign for Jewish men that God put on them so to distinguish them as the covenant people of God. But that outward sign did not make them right with God. And so many people trust things like that. They trust that their, their performance, what they do. And so some people believe they're going to heaven because they're a member of a church. I, I've talked about this. I've never done it, but I think it would be appropriate to put out a sign out, out in front of our church that says, this church will not get you to heaven. But then you could add, but we can tell you about the person who will. We can tell you about Jesus. You see, being becoming a member of a church doesn't save anybody. Also, some people... Uh, they, they are pride themselves in their performance of something they did, maybe like a baptism. Sometimes I talk to people and ask them if, they've, if they're saved, and they said, oh, yes, I was baptized. What's that got to do with it? Now, I know they might be well-meaning people, and they just don't think it through, but if somebody ever asks you that, if you're saved, don't tell them I was baptized on a certain day. You tell, yes, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I put my faith in him. I, I remember when that happened. And then maybe you can say, and after that, I followed the Lord and believer's baptism because he wanted me to. But don't, don't base your salvation on your baptism. There have been many people that went down a, a dry center and came up a wet center, and they weren't saved. They didn't know Jesus. And I was one of those. I was baptized when I was a kid, but I wasn't saved. And so when I truly trusted the Lord as my Savior... I was baptized as a believer. And so baptism doesn't save you. Some people count on communion. Some people believe that Nancy Pelosi is in trouble now because she can't take the mass. <laughs> well, it didn't help her before and it won't help her afterwards. <laughs> and, you know, you don't, you're not saved by what the church can do for you or what you do, those things that you do. That doesn't save you. Some people count on confirmation. Some people count on confession. You know, I, I've sinned all this week, but I made it to the, to the priest and I confessed all my sin. I'm okay now. I can start all over my sin. It doesn't work that way. You, you, you can't count on your performance. Church attendance. Some people believe if they're faithful in church, God will let them in heaven. Some people believe if they give, they tithe, that God will let them in heaven. Some people believe if they serve the Lord enough, that he, they do enough things, God will let them in the heaven. But the truth of the matter is, that's all just religion. And religion will not save you. The Jew thought he was right because God, because he was circumcised. It was an outward sign, but it did not speak of an inward reality. And circumcision did not profit him because he did not obey the law. In fact, there's nobody that's ever obeyed the law except Jesus. Never obeyed it completely except Jesus. He kept it. And so if you're counting on what you do to get you to heaven... It won't work. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved through faith in Jesus and faith alone. Notice what it says in verse 27, I think it is. And shall not circumcisions, which is by, by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of the circumcision does transgress the law? people who are Gentiles and they obey the Lord and they trust the Lord, but they don't have outward circumcision. He says they have what really counts, and that's the circumcision of the heart. You remember Jesus met a man one time. His name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night. 
and he wanted to know how he could be in the kingdom, you know, how he could he'd be all right with God. And God told that, that, that ruler of the Jews, that very strict religious man who's most, one of the most religious people in, the, in, in that day, he said, you must be born again. Your outward circumcision didn't do it. There must be a change in the heart, and only God can do that. You must be born again. So if anybody here is, claim, is counting on how good you've been or how religious you are or anything like that, uh, forget all of that because there's only one way to be saved, and that's through what Jesus has done for you. You believe that, and when you believe that, God changes you inside, and God makes you a new person. You're born again. And so religion that fails because religion counts on its possession, and religion counts on its profession. But then there's another reason that religion fails, and that is religion fails because it trusts in its pedigree. Look at verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is he that circumcised, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Some people take that and say that, uh, you know, being a Jew is nothing. In fact, that uh, we as Christians are Jews. Now, the Bible never teaches that, my friend. The Bible never teaches that because you're a Christian, you're a Jew. The Bible says that there is a Jewish people. That, and that God, they are God's covenant people, and through him God promised certain things. And through him God gave much of the scripture, and through, through, the, through the Jew, God gave the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was a Jew. And God has a plan for the Jew in the future, and God's going to fulfill those promises to the Jew. And so the Jew is a chosen people. But God is saying that just because you're outwardly a Jew, your pedigree, you know, you were born a Jew. And uh, it's who you are. And because of that doesn't mean that you're going to be right with God. A lot of Jews will go to hell. Why? Because they didn't trust Jesus as their personal Savior. And so it's not your pedigree. A true Jew is one who is, is praised. You see, the word Jew comes from the word Judah. And Judah means one praised. And God is saying this. God will not praise you because you are a Jew. God will only praise you if you have what, pra- what pleases him. And there's only one thing that pleases him, my friend, and that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is applied to your account when you trust Jesus as your Savior. And so God says being, a, being a, a Jew doesn't save you. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, you ask them, I'm a... I ask, I've asked people this before, and, and sometimes I hear something like this. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I've always been a Christian. Well, if they say that, you know it's not true. I've always been a Christian. My dad and mom were Christians. My, my grandpa and grandma was Christian. In fact, my grandpa was a Baptist preacher. Well, let me ask you something. What does that got to do with it? What does that have to do with it? You're not saved because of what family you're in. You're not saved because you were born in a Christian family and your family's always been Christians. You're not a Christian. You haven't been a Christian all your life because there you were born a sinner 
and you were apart from God, you're at enmity with God, and you didn't deserve the Lord, you were dead in sins, and there had to come a time when you responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, and he wants to be your Savior. He will save you if you'll put your faith and trust in him, and you cry out to God and ask him to save you. Only if you've done that are you a Christian. You're not, you're not a Christian because of some pedigree. You see, God has no grandchildren. Let me say that again. God has no grandchildren. You are not saved because somebody else was a Christian. You're not saved because you're in a godly family. You must trust Jesus yourself. God only has children born again who trusted Jesus as their Savior. Also, there's another thing, and that is religion fails because it trusts in its possessions, it trusts in its performance, it trusts in its pedigree, and it trusts in its persuasiveness. You see, Paul was a Jew, and he was a strict Jew before he trusted Jesus as his Savior. He was a Pharisee. And he knew what these religious people did if you backed them in a corner, and that is they argued with you. (laughs) And so Paul, I believe, just gives some of their arguments because he knew what they would say. And so in chapter 3, he starts some of those arguments. And notice what he says. They trust, and religious people do this, you know, if you, get, if you pin them down and say, well, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, then they'll argue with you. And they might argue their sincerity. They might argue their, their experience. They might argue uh, human logic. They might argue those things, and they want to argue about it. But, but Paul says, I'm going to just tell you what some of, them, of you will say. He starts by saying in verse 3, What advantage then hath the Jew? You might say, well, if you tell me that we're not saved because we're a Jew, we're not going to heaven because we're a Jew, then what good's it to be a Jew? And Paul says, well, much. <laughs> I mean, it's through the Jews that we receive the word of God. And you Jews have the word of God. And that's very important, but you need to respond to the word of God. What advantage is it to be a Jew? It's a great advantage. You have the word of God. And then he gives another argument. What if some did not believe? What if some did not believe? In verse 3 and 4, he says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. You see, it's like this. I think I've told you the story. I heard one time about the lady who was talking to her pastor, and he said, Pastor, God said it, I believed it, and that settles it. And he corrected her. He said, ma'am, that's not true. God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. (laughs) And that's good to remember. And that's what these people were saying. You know, What if some don't believe? Does that make it no no good? And he says, no. Let God be true and every man a liar. And then he gives another argument. Look at verse 5. He says in verse 5, he says, But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. He's arguing as a man. What's he saying? Well, if our unrighteousness actually means make, makes clearer the righteousness of God. Is it right for God to judge us? I mean, because we're unrighteous, it just, just 
makes the righteousness of God seem even greater. I mean, he, he's so good, and, and you show us so bad, it makes, actually makes God look, look better. Uh, how can it be wrong to make God look better? Isn't God wrong to judge us because we helped in his, his uh, presentation of his glory? And Paul answers, God forbid. If that was true, how would God be able to judge the world? And all of you Jews know that he'll judge the world. And then he gives another argument. It's found in verse 7. If the truth of God is made clear because of my lie, why am I judged as a sinner? So, you know, I lie, but when I lie, it makes God's truth look even better. And that's true, you know. God's truth against your lie sure makes you look bad, doesn't it? And in anything, it just makes God look better. And so their argument is that since the truth of God is made clear because of my lie, why am I judged as a sinner? Since my lie lie makes God look better, I should keep on doing evil so good may come of it. Remember, Paul wrote in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So he said, well, that's true. Sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Well, that's sin, so grace can abound. And then he answers this, anyone who would say such a thing deserves the damnation that will come to them. That's his, our, our answer to them. You see, persuasion will never get you to heaven. Some people have the idea that if I die, I face God, I'm going to tell him about my life. I'm going to tell him, Lord, I know I didn't fail you, but you need to understand all these things happened to me. If you have that in your mind that you're going to stand before God and argue, you just might, for, might as well forget that because you won't say a word. I mean, you'll be dumbfounded when you stand before God. Nobody's going to argue with God. That God told about some people who try that. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If somebody would even think about saying something like that to the Lord, the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. If you think you're going to go to heaven because you have this case you're going to present to the Lord and you're going to argue and say, Lord, here's why I think you should let me in. The Bible will say, depart from, the Lord will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, my friend, we don't get to heaven by religion. Religion will fail you. It will always fail you. Religion fails because it trusts in possessions. Religion fails because it trusts in performance. Religion fails because it trusts in pedigree. And religion fails because it trusts in persuasiveness. The only way to heaven is Jesus. And let's think about it for just a minute as we close. He has eternal life that he wants to give you. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 12, if you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son, you have not life. You say, oh, I'm going to be accepted because of what I have. (laughs) 
The Lord says, the only thing that accepted is what you have in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have him, you don't have life. What about my performance? Well, the Lord's already done all the performing. <laughs> He's finished the work on Calvary. So when you really uh, have this mindset that you're going to argue with God about what you've done, and are you going to tell people that you're going to get to heaven because of this, this, and this, you're saying to the Lord, what you did on the cross of Calvary is not sufficient. Jesus said, I paid for your sins. I paid for all of them. And I want to give you my eternal life. I want to give you righteousness applied to your account if you will trust and believe on me. It's not your performance. It's God's performance. And he did it on the cross of Calvary. As I've said many times, you don't get to heaven by doing things for the Lord. You get to heaven because he did something for you. And so that's the only way to heaven. What about pedigree? Well, he's the one who, with whom God is satisfied. God is satisfied with Jesus. He's not satisfied with you being a Jew or a Christian or a church member or a Baptist or whatever it might be. God's not satisfied with that. God's satisfied with Jesus, and that's all. But what about your persuasiveness? You don't need to argue because the Bible says if you trust Jesus as your Savior, you have the one to argue for you. And guess who that is? Jesus. He stands at the right hand of God and he intercedes for me. And if the devil would come and say, Lord, do you know what he did? Jesus will say, I paid for it. Lord, do you know what he did yesterday? He doesn't deserve to go to heaven because Jesus says, I paid for it. It's all paid. And so he, he intercedes for us. And so really it's his possession himself and eternal life. It's his performance. He worked for my salvation. There's nothing left for me to do. It's his pedigree. He's the one with whom God is satisfied. I'm in him, so it's all about him. And it's his persuasiveness because he is going to argue my case before God. I don't have to do any arguing. And Jesus will just say, I paid for that man's sin, and he trusted me as his Savior, all of his sins forgiven, And I put in the place of all those sins, I give him my righteousness. He's accepted in the beloved. And so we can go to heaven because of Jesus. That's why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And he could tell these religious people before he ever started this, in chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so Jesus is our Savior. Let's close as we go back to the thought about America today. What is, what's the problem with America? Sin. What's the answer for America? It's not religion. It's Jesus. What we need is Jesus. It's not that we need a new politician. It's not that we need a different president. That would be good. (laughs) But that won't solve it. What America needs is Jesus, and we happen to be the ones who are ambassadors for Christ, and we can tell people about what Jesus did for them on the cross of Calvary. Let's be faithful in this wicked day to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. And I thank you for giving us the privilege to represent you. But Lord, it might be that someone has come into the church service today 
Maybe they've been here many times and they don't truly know Jesus. We don't know that, Lord, but you do. And they probably do as well. And I pray that they'll not be ashamed to admit that and to come today and trust Jesus as their Savior. I pray that nobody in Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church will be content because they're a member. May they not be content because they are busy in the work of the Lord here. May they not be content because they give to you. I pray that they'd only have confidence because they have Jesus. And I pray that we might be good representatives of you, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name.